Good morning, everyone. A couple of uh, personal comments this morning before we get started. The Allens are with us, and it's been a long, long time since I've seen them. And I remember they had a little girl a long time ago, and that little girl has grown up. Ferguson's are with us now, and, and they have children of their own as well. So uh, we're really happy to see them. You know, it's, it's nice to see people that you've known years and years ago. The second thing I want to mention is that... Um, Art taught a class this morning on the subject of love, and, and that sort of laid the groundwork for me, in a way. And then John and, and Kathy presented some visual material for us in regard to love, so I want you to understand that that wasn't my doing, but I really appreciate it. They, they do such a nice job in presenting material for us from God's Word. What I would like to discuss with you this morning, because we humans have a propensity to place an inordinate value on things in our lives that take first place and are the greatest, that we need to be cautious, I think. For one thing, Jesus said, he sort of turned everything upside down. He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Then he said, he that is the greatest shall be the least and the least shall be the greatest. So... Whenever we approach a subject in God's Word, in the New Testament in particular, uh, we, we are cautious because the things of Jesus that he, that he taught are not always what we perceive to be right in, in a, the ordinary human environment. For instance, we try to prioritize, don't we? We, we, want to, we want to know, if we want to know about a subject, we want to know what's, what's the best in that area. We want to know sometimes what's the largest, what's the tallest, what's the deepest, what's the broadest. So we ask about the mountains. What's the highest mountain in the world? I'm sure everybody knows it's Everest. What's the deepest hole in the ocean? And most of us know it's the Marianas Trench. What's the biggest volcano? What's the greatest earthquake? What's the greatest fire? What's the tallest building? It's over in Arabia, by the way, Arabian Islands. And it's almost twice as tall as the Empire State Building. So we're looking at things like that. What, what's the biggest ball of twine in the world? So we're looking at things. We prioritize things. Who won the race? We don't think about who came in second, who came in third. Who won the spelling bee? Who's, who's first? And so that's what these fellows were doing. They came and asked Jesus. They said, and there are actually two accounts here. One in Matthew 22 and one in Mark chapter 12. Matthew 22 says a lawyer asked the question. Mark says a scribe. So probably two fellows. In the same context, in the same area of discussion, one of them wasn't satisfied with the other's answer and so forth. So they both asked the question. The lawyer said, what's the greatest commandment? And then the scribe came along and says, what's the first? He wanted to know what's number one. So they were trying to prioritize. They wanted to find out about these two commandments. Uh, the, the first, of course, they both, they both realized that he, the first commandment was, and it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14, or verse 4 through 15. Anyway, they both understood that the first commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second was like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. They both knew that. 
Jesus emphasized this in verse 40 in chapter 22 when he says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything depends. The word hang means depend. Everything depends on these two commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. The scribe in chapter 12 of, of uh, Mark said, you, you said it right, Lord. That's good. That's good. We accept that. And then he went ahead to, to detail what, what he thought about it. He was referring to Deuteronomy 6, as we said before. And Leviticus chapter 19, 18. I, actually, the scribe said, You're right, Lord. The Lord your God is one God. And there you shall, shall have no others. So the scribe actually added something to it that the lawyer didn't. But basically, they were both referring to Deuteronomy, the chapter 6, 7, and 8. So let's, let's get a little history lesson here before we go any further. God decided He wanted to save us. That He was not through with the human race. You remember that happened after the flood. He was through with the human race in the time of the flood. He said, I'm, I'm through. The, the thoughts of their hearts are evil continually. So he said, I'm going to destroy them, all living things. But he found one man, Noah, who was faithful in his sight. And so he saved, with eight souls, he saved the world. But he, he made the statement that he would no, no more destroy the world by a flood. But he was going to save us. He, he was going to save the world. Now the, the problem was, it's going to take a while to get it done. It's not that God doesn't want it done now. It's because we can't take it now. Man was not ready for it. I don't know why. Apparently it's, it's the problem of unlocking this vault we have inside us called our heart. Somehow this had to be unlocked to get inside because we kept God out. We were in and we kept God out and, and He couldn't get in. Now, He could, however, destroy us, but He didn't. So he said, I'm, I'm going I'm to save all humanity. I'm going to bless all nations. And he chose one man, and that man, of course, was named Abraham. And he said, through his seed, he would bless all nations. That's a very, very simple proposition. That family, it was a clan, that family grew to about 75 individuals, numbered, when they were taken into Captivity, not captivity at the time, but they went down into Egypt and they were they were settled in the land of Goshen, which is north of the major population of Egypt. And they were settled there, 75 souls, until the time that Moses came along. When Moses came, God said he wanted to bring his children out and give them the land that he had promised them. And so through Moses, he brought them out of Egypt and brought them across the wilderness, 40 long years in the wilderness, and then he settled them in the land of Canaan. And in the meantime, he gave them a series of laws, and he gave them instructions, and that's from chapter 6 through chapter 8 of the book of Deuteronomy. And the word Deuteronomy means the second law, two laws. That means he repeated what has gone on in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. He repeated that in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, in that context, he said, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to bless you, 
if you keep my commandments. I'm, going to, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. These words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you will teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And you will bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. They, they, you shall write them upon the posts of your house and on your gates. Now can you imagine sitting down in the evening and talking about God's law? Do we do that? We just talk about God's law in our family circumstance, family situation. He said, and put these up on your, on your doorpost so when you come in your house, you see them. And when you sit down, talk about them. When you stand up, talk about them. In your family environment, talk about my laws and love me. He said, love me. Now that's a commandment. Love me. Israel was supposed to teach their children to love God. That's, that was the instruction. You know, when we talk about love, we have to talk about the fact that it's an activity of the heart. In our class this morning, Art was, was explaining the fact that, that uh, it's hard to define the word love. Well, it may be, but it's not hard for you to experience it. You can feel it. Okay, there has to be a motivation in keeping the law. When someone tells you to do something... There has to be a why should I, doesn't there? Parents tell their children, do this. And the children say, why should I? And the parents say, because I said so. <laughs> right? And after a while, kids get up and get rebellious and say, I don't have to. I'll do what I want to do. You can't tell me what to do. And when they get to be 18, 19, 20 years old, that's probably true. Uh, they, you, you can't tell them anymore. This is what God told Israel. Keep my commandments. They have to ask, why? Well, there's other reason. Not only because I said so, but he said, I want you to love me. I want you to love me. Now think about that a minute. Why do you love your parents? Why do you keep their commandments? Because they told you to? Let's go on a little bit. We are in a, in a civilized country, and the government tells us to do certain things. We're not in a police state, but we are basically in that condition. We are told to obey traffic laws. If we do not obey the traffic laws, then we are fined. Isn't that correct? I run a red light, I'm going to pay a fine. If I do something worse, if I'm a felon, then I'm going to have to pay for it in prison. But I'm told by the police, by the authority, by the government, you must obey the law. Now, I don't have to love them to do it. Do I? Are you in love with... The Congress of the United States? Well, I'm not. I love my country. I love where I'm living. I love the good laws. 
I don't care for the bad laws. But I'm, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I'm forced to obey the law. Really, I'm compelled. Another reason is because it will bring good results. Why, why would we follow somebody's advice, an old-timer's advice? Well, they've been there before, maybe, we can say. And if we follow good advice, we're going to have good circumstances and good benefits. And that's what God told Israel. Now, those three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, tell us this. God said, if you will keep my commandments, I'll make sure that you prosper. That whatever crop you plant, as a matter of fact, he said, it will produce ten times and a hundred times what you would expect. Wow. So he said, if you'll keep my commandments, I'll make sure you get rich. Who wouldn't do that? You see, here's the motivation. Okay, that works for a while, doesn't it? <laughs> the parents who have a lot of money and make trust kids out of their kids will find that it doesn't always mean that the kids love them when they do what they tell them to do. Because basically they're doing it in order to get the benefits. Okay, if you will get good grades, I will give you an automobile for if you graduate. Why are you getting good grades? For the automobile. Do I love my parents? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because sometimes I'm going to not do what they tell me to do as long as they don't, I don't get caught not doing it. Well, that brings up another situation. Why should we keep the law, Lord? Because disobedience will bring evil consequences. Now, they learned that after a while. It took them a long time to learn it. But they did learn it. And old Solomon, you know, Solomon was, was supposed to be the wisest man on earth. He had more information and, and more statements of uh, wisdom than anybody else in the world. And when he got through writing the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, let's hear the whole matter. Fear God and keep the commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep the commandments. Because there can be evil consequences if you don't. If you don't fear. Okay, let's talk about what Jesus said. When they asked the question, what is the first commandment? What is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God. And our question is, why? Why should I love God? Basically, love, when, when somebody says, you've got to love me. Bob, you've got to love me because of who I am. That's not going to make him love me. And I can tell Bonnie to love me. I can tell you to love me. But that doesn't mean you're going to love me. Why are you? How can I elicit love from you? How can I get you to actually feel something for me? How can that happen? Children, if they're indulged and pampered, may not actually return, reciprocate love. You know, uh, this business of juvenile delinquency that has been investigated in every perspective possible, trying to figure out why some kids go bad and why some kids stay good. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's really a, a big question. One of the biggest answers is when, when you all eat at the same dinner table every night and talk over problems, that's one of the biggest issues 
and children not getting involved in juvenile delinquency. But regardless of that, why should I love my parents? Because they're my parents? Because they told me what to do? Because they give me things? Because when I wanted a bicycle for my birthday, they gave me a bicycle, therefore I love them? Because when I wanted a car, they gave me an automobile? Because when I wanted to do things, they let me do things that I wanted to do? Is this why I love my parents? Is this why I do what they want me to do? How about a mate? We choose a mate. What happens when we choose our mate? Well, the first thing that happens is a man and a woman are are romantically inclined, and so they think, okay, I'm going to put my best foot forward, and I'm going to impress that person, and they'll want me. They'll want me. We do that, don't we? Well, what happens? After you, after you get married, then you say, well, I got them. I've got them. Now they've got to keep me because we, 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 we uh, exchange an oath, right? So now then I can do what I want to do. I don't have to remember birthdays. I don't have to give up things that I really like for things that they really like because they have to love me. You know it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. (laughs) You know and I know it doesn't work that way. If I say my wife has to love me, you say you're foolish, Bill. You're foolish. She doesn't have to love you. You're going to have to do something to make her love you. You're going to have to behave. Well, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to punch you when we we have a disagreement. I'm going to punch you in areas where it doesn't show. That's my love for you. Really? I'm going to knock you down and then I'm going to pick you up and say, here, I'm going to give you some roses and some candy and I'm going to take you out to dinner just to show you how much I love you. What do we do? What do we do with our, with our spouses in order, to, in order to elicit love? How do I, how do I get that love? It's, uh, your love can't be taken, advantage, taken for granted. Just listen to me just a minute. Someone who's abused in a relationship that stays in that relationship is not staying because of love. They're staying probably because of a poor self-image of themselves. They're staying for a lot of different reasons. But in an abused relationship, they're not staying in that relationship because of love when there's abuse. They're staying for other reasons. But people that stay in a relationship that love one another stay in it because they love each other and because they can feel. Listen just a minute. Love is a feeling. Now, I may not be able to define it entirely, but it is an activity of the heart. It's what you feel. It's what I feel coming from my mate. It's what I feel coming from my children. It's what I feel coming from my friends. Relatives. It's what I feel coming from my parents. Okay, my parents give me everything, therefore I love them. No, that's not true. But when my mother works two jobs and takes a third job so I can go to school, then I begin to feel something for my mama. Why? Because she's giving me something? No, because she's giving me herself. She's giving me herself. 
in a, in a husband and wife relationship, why do we love each other? Because we give each other of ourselves. And we give up things that we want for things that they want. Am I making any sense? Okay, the question is, why should we obey God? Because He told us to? Because He answers prayers? Because He makes us rich? Why should we obey God? Because God gave us something. And He gave us something that meant something to Him. Something that He, that he had to sacrifice to give us. It's a long history lesson for Israel. But it's there for us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, at verse 10, he says, I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart. Where is the error that we have with God? It is square in our heart. How does that heart change? That heart has to change. Somebody has to knock on the door of that heart and say, let me in. And we have to ask the question, who are you and why should you get in? Well, it's God and His Son, Jesus Christ. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come in and sup with him. I'll come in. Why should I love God? Because He loved me first. God so loved the world that He gave us the only begotten Son. Whosoever believed on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love God, and I can't describe what it is. I, I can just simply tell you that my heart responds to God. My heart responds to God through Jesus Christ. And then I keep the commandments. Why? Because He told me to? When you're having trouble with a, with a, with a uh, temptation, why do you avoid not doing it? I'll tell you why you should not break the commandments. Because you know if you break the commandments, it's going to break your father's heart. That's the reason. Parents... And I'm not talking to a lot of parents with smaller kids, but some. You send your kids out into the world, and you know what? The only leash you have with them to help keep them straight, the only, only tie you have, is not that you'll keep their trust fund back. It's not that you will, you will uh, tell them you, you disown them. It's because they will do the right thing because they love you and do not want to break your heart. Love is an action of the heart. It's an activity of the heart. And it's what holds us together to God. That's what it is. It's a feeling that we have. We keep the commandments because we love God. And I love God because He first loved me. And I saw that. I saw His love at Calvary. That's where I saw it. He didn't have to do that for me. He didn't have to. I could have gone to hell. I could have roasted in an eternity of, of punishment. But God loved me and said, Bill, I don't want you. I want you with me. And so the way I feel the love of God is when I go to the cross and I say, well, He gave His Son for me. We sometimes think in, just in terms of Jesus on the cross. Well, we have to think in terms of Jesus on the cross plus the fact that it was the Father who sent him and was dying inside as he watched his son being abused. It was just it was just tearing him up. He turned away. He couldn't watch. 
Well, Jesus died. Why? Because he loved me. Now then. So I say, okay, the Bible says what? That I have to keep his commandments. I'm going to read a text in the book of Hebrews. It's from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 33. And, and in this text in Hebrews, in, in, uh, let me get my text here real quick. Hebrews chapter 8. Jeremiah 31 says, and it's, it's quoting here in Hebrews 8, verse 8, For finding fault with them, he's talking about Israel, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I shall make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made to their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. You know what he told the children of Israel to do? Keep my commandments and learn to love me. It didn't work. It did not work. People didn't, didn't love him. That's not that the, the motivation wasn't there. God knew it, and he, he just took him a long time to get us down to that point where we could accept that. And it says, They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. How do you know God? How do you know him without knowing the commandments? I'll tell you, friend, if you know Jesus Christ, you know the Father. Remember when Philip asked Jesus the question? It'll suffice us. Show us the Father. And Jesus said, Have I been with you so long you've not seen me? Jesus said, I and, my, I and the Father are I and my Father are one. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And when you see Jesus, you see the open heart of God. And when you see that, and you feel that, when the time comes for you to obey His commandments, you'll do it. Why? Because you love Him. And you don't, you don't have any intention of breaking His heart again, do you? You love Him. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. Why should I keep your commandments, Lord? Well, do I fear hell? Certainly I do that. Uh, do, I, do I think there's going to be consequences? Sure, there's going to be consequences. Is there, are you the authority? Sure, the authority. But the reason I'm going to keep your commandments is because you have touched my heart. You've touched my heart deeper than my mother touched my heart. But you've touched it. And now then, I can't keep from keeping your commandments. I have to. I must keep your commandments. In John chapter 14... Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he made that statement to them, basically. He said, John 14, verse 21, he said, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. You know what? We sometimes get the cart before the horse. You don't keep the commandments in order to love God. You love God, and that makes you keep the commandments. You can't keep from it. You have to keep from it. The problem is we don't know that much about Jesus probably. We need to know more about the Son of God and about the great sacrifice that He made and about Him who loved us. If we see Him, 
We'll see the Father. And when we do, our hearts will melt. The Bible says, repent. And our heart says, I'm, I will. I know I've been wrong. The Bible says, confess the name of Jesus. And you look at the text and you say, well, I believe He is the Son of God. The Bible says, be baptized. Immerse for the mission of sin. I'll gladly do that. Why? Because God, who loves me, and I love Him, I'm going to do it. And whatever He tells me to do, He says, quit gambling, Bill. I'm going to quit gambling. He says, be honest, Bill. And I'll say, okay, Lord. I'm going to be honest. I need some help. So He sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus lives with me. We can do it, but we can meet any issue in our lives because we feel the pressure and the power of the love of God. We feel the heart of God beating on the cross of Calvary and touching us. If you need to respond to God this morning at this time, we're going to ask you to do so while we stand together and sing the song selected.